Amen. For the last 20 months, I've been engaged in some very serious postgraduate level education. It's called grandparenting. <laughs> I confess I've been a little baffled by it, by its complexity and simplicity at the same time, for one. Yet on another level, I'm kind of on the verge of a personal breakthrough, I think. I don't know what it all means yet. When I figure it out, I'll let you know. Definitely starting to see people, the world, things differently. When I figure it out, I'll let you know. Because I've been engulfed in the world of diapers, pouches, D, which is Daniel's Tiger's Neighborhood. Going outside, or side, giggles, hide-and-seek, eyes that glisten in a 20-month-old that's on the brink of everything, and that phrase is important. This young girl is on the brink of everything, no fear. The whole world's ahead of her. I was mentioning this to her father, my son-in-law Adam, yesterday at the pool while we were in the midst of, Papa, do again, Papa, do again, becoming a shriveled pool prune. This notion of being on the brink of everything, each day being a new adventure, her frontal lobe developing, and my only job, literally my only job, is to create enough room for her to feel safe while she opens up to all these grand new adventures, like insects, and creepy crawlies, and bugs, and giggles, and body functions that are curiously humorous. And laughter, and belly buttons, and well, you know, you get the drift, eh? And then comes my 56, almost 57-year-old wondering. And here's what I've been wondering lately. What's happened to me? Where did I go? I used to be that kid, and so did you. And so did everybody in this room. I forgot to be like that somewhere along the line. It just baffles me to bewilderment and beyond. Thank you very much. That was a little Toy Story humor. You know, we worry, we disagree. Why, why, why? Why so much to be concerned about? You know what my answer is? Simply, Wait for it. Fear. I wonder, I mean, I truly wonder how much we say and do is based on fear. Why does it seem like so many people are running around all over the place with their hair on fire? Thank you, Blue Bloods and one of the Wahlberg brothers, Danny Reagan, with that phrase. I've adopted it lately. I think it's a great one. Running around with our hair on fire. It's a great image. Imagine it right now. <laughs> it's funny. It's very apropos. 
Because being on the brink of everything requires wild-eyed wonder and amazement and exploration and creative imagination. Yet in a culture of fear, there's only either or. There's no room for both and like there is in the world of a 20-month-old who's on the brink of everything. So I've been learning about the both-and world of being on the brink of everything so that you can be eating peas and carrots and crackers at the same time and creating a mess and being okay with that. Plastic golf clubs and hide-and-seek at the same time. Yes, it's possible. Cats and dogs, messes that look lovelier and more orderly than anything I could possibly pick up. Yeah, walking around, running around, giggling, belly laughing. Ah, those were the days. Do you remember? Hardly. But they're in there, man. They're right in the midst of that life of yours. You got to dig down deep and find it. You see, as free people, we can dive headfirst into the complexity of both and, the complexity of paradox, and we make room for it in our most hair-on-fire, conundrum-like moments. And it's really countercultural to a fear-based, anxious world that's always and only about either or, either this or that. Yet because we're infused by the Spirit of God, there's creative imagination that allows us to go beyond either this or that to embrace both and and other creative possibilities, don't you think? With wild-eyed wonder and creative imaginations, the sparkle in the eye, it's possible. You're not too old. You're not dead yet. Oh, give me more than that. This past week, we celebrated freedom. Celebrated freedom, didn't we? Freedom. What is freedom? What is freedom? Well, there's negative freedom, which is I'm free from rules to be whomever and whatever I want. Negative freedom is basically don't tell me what to do, yada, yada, yada. Negative. But there's also positive freedom that's more important that runs alongside of negative freedom for Christian people. Positive freedom is the freedom from something in order to be someone or something else. And it actually takes more work to dive headlong and be on the brink of everything of positive freedom. But in order to make room for all kinds of both and and others, you know where it starts? starts with me and you, the person in the mirror. To be free means to be able to be different than everybody else. And in the language of Christian theology and life together in community, to be different is another, just another way of saying discipleship. So let me tell you a true story. I want to lead you into a Bible story that I've been thinking about since about the time I came here, and I'm rolling this out for the first time because it's about time. And I think you're going to enjoy the Bible story. 
hopefully. If not, don't blame me, just blame God. Which is where we should take all our stuff anyway. True story. Ready? Monday morning, February 2008. Every sports page in the world heralded the New York Giants' astonishing Super Bowl upset over, and I really do like saying this, the undefeated New England Patriots. <laughs> Amor, are you here? He's not, darn it! And yet the big story within that story, that's where I want to take us. The Giants head coach, his name is Tom Coughlin. He pulled off the shocker, which was bigger than the Super Bowl win. And the shocker was that he, as a human being and a coach, are you ready for this? He became nicer. He got nicer. Entering the season, his boss was grumbling things like this. Talk about job security, ready? He's our coach this year, but we'll see what happens after that. (laughs) Wow. No job security there. And hearing things like that, Coughlin decided he needed a leadership makeover. Boston Globe reporter Jackie McMullen reported an incident that took place on media day 72 hours before the big Super Bowl day game win. A little boy, no more than eight or nine years old, was handed a microphone on media day. He made a beeline towards Giants head coach Tom Coughlin who, spotting the junior inquisitor, leaned over in an almost grandfatherly fashion, scooped him up, and tenderly attended to his question. Little boy said, Coach, I hear you've been a lot nicer this year. Coughlin, to gales of laughter, said, Hey, who put you up to that? The year before, the team went 8-8, eight and eight, and after going 8-8 eight and eight in 2007, Tom Coughlin met with his veteran players. Team meeting, come to Jesus, what's happening? They told him he yelled too much, communicated too little, and didn't listen to anybody ever. <laughs> Ouch. Even veteran player Michael Strahan was there. So he decided that next year he would not change his team. Didn't work. He decided he'd change himself. And every single one of that team members, every single one of those team members is now sporting a 2008 Super Bowl ring. Michael Strahan later said, of that transformation, he said it was the most remarkable transformation I've ever seen. There were moments, many throughout the course of the season, I didn't even recognize my own head coach. Man, do I wonder why we worry and disagree so much. 
starts with me. And you. And you guys in the back. Thinking I can't see you back there. How about the Bible story? I love this Bible story. It could be transformational if we're willing to change ourselves. So I'm going to take you back to Genesis chapter 26. Abraham, if you remember, Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? Enough. Abraham had Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Abraham's son Isaac is living on the south end of the, what we would today call the Holy Land in the land that was occupied and owned by the Philistines. And there's a famine in this land. And Isaac decides he's going to be like Abraham and leave enemy-occupied territory and go somewhere else to survive. And God tells him, don't go, stay here, I'll show you a more excellent way. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 26, beginning at verse 17. And I'm going to point out some really interesting and fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts about this text that I think could be life-changing. What do we got to lose? A good night's sleep by not worrying and being afraid? So Isaac moved away from there, not too far away. He was still in Philistine territory. And he encamped in the valley of Gerar, which is on the south end towards the Mediterranean Sea, Philistine, Philistine area, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up because they don't like each other, they don't get along, they had border skirmishes, all that kind of stuff, after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants, now here's where the story gets interesting. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar, they're Philistines, they don't like each other, their border enemies, quarreled, quarreled with those of Isaac and said, hey man, that water's ours. They quarreled. So Isaac named the well Essek. You know what Essek means in English? Dispute. Isaac names the well dispute because they quarreled. There's no room for them to mutually coexist. They can't figure it out. They can't get their acts together. So he calls that well dispute because they, oh, there it is. They disputed with him. Forgot it was in the text. Then they dug, so they move on. Forget about it. That's quarreling, opposition, and dispute. Who would want to live there? So they move over here. And they dig another well. But they quarrel over that one too, in that whole area. And so they named that well Sitna, which means, you know what sitna means? Opposition. Opposition. No room. A lot of quarreling. 
A lot of disputing, a lot of quarreling, a lot of opposition. So he moves on again. Third time's going to be a charm. He moved on from there and dug another well. And there it is. This is gospel. This is gospel right here. No one quarreled over it. What? No one quarreled over that well. So he named it Rehoboth. He named that third well Rehoboth because there was no quarreling over it. There was, there was room for everybody to coexist in that strange land. Philistine and foreigner mutually coexisting in the same space. What? And he named it Rehoboth. You know why? Rehoboth means, are you ready for it? Room. There's room. So he calls it Rehoboth. Room. Saying, now the Lord has given us room. And we will, I love this word, flourish in the land. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with, oh man, Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, sounds like an antibiotic, the commander of his forces. Man, you're a tough crowd this morning. <laughs> Do one of these, wake up. Next slide. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? Border skirmishes. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us and you. Got to make an agreement. We're getting close to an executive order. Next slide. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm you but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. That's a politician right there. And now you are blessed by the Lord. So notice who initiates the feast. Isaac makes a feast. And they ate and they drank. And early the next morning, the men sat at a round table with Sharpies and they signed an executive treaty. They signed an oath. They made a promise. They took an Instagram photo op and they plastered it all over social media. And then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been called Beersheba. Beersheba means Oath, treaty, promise, vow. They made room to peacefully coexist so that all human beings can flourish in the same land. That's freedom. That's creative imagination that allows room for more than just either here or there. 
It's creative imagination that allows for third and fourth and fifth options to bubble up because that's the way the Holy Spirit of God actually is. See, godly freedom ensures that all people can be different by peaceably coexisting and flourishing in lands of border skirmishes of all kinds when we receive, and I'm going to do this fast, a gift from God. So I want to give you all and encourage everybody here, I want to give you a gift from this text. Because is this not pertinent for today? Could this not be gospel good news? Well, thank you very much. Man, I worked hard on this, and you guys are still at the fireworks. It's an acronym, G-I-F-T. The G stands for, friends, God owns all the land. We just steward it. God owns it all, not you. Not me. Not the governments. God does. God owns all the land. We get to steward it. I can't ever forget all people are created in the image of God to enjoy the land that God owns. F. Flourish. For humankind to have the room to peacefully coexist and flourish, right out of the text. And T, transform. This is how we transform worry and disagreements and struggle. By Rehoboth, making room for all people everywhere. That's freedom. That's freedom. And yet, big people stand and worry and disagree. And what happened to us? To me. We should all be on the brink of everything together at every stage of life. Like a 20-month-old. It worked for Isaac and Abimelech. It can work for Israel and Palestine. Heck, it can work in Venezuela and Africa. Are you kidding me? It can work in Europe, in Central and South America, with North America. It can work in our neighborhoods divided by race and prejudice and, and fear. It can work in the city and in the suburbs. It can even work in our homes. And my goodness gracious, here's the gospel good news about making room today. It can even work in the churches. Maybe the hardest place of all. My voice just cracked. I'm 16 again. But I know, but pastor, I know what you're saying. But pastor, what do we do with Joshua and Judges, the conquest narratives? Come on, man. Remember that? That's still in the Bible too. Yeah, it is. However, perhaps, consider this. Perhaps this text, Genesis 26, is God's design. And we neglected it and forgot about it by the time we got to Joshua and Judges. But pastor, people need to obey the law. And you know what? I'm not arguing about that. I am asking that we need a change of heart so that we may consider seeing the law differently. Because there ought to be room for all people. 
African-American, LGBTQ. Let me finish with a fun little, fun little Hasidic tale about looking at the law differently and weighting different laws in a different priority. A disciple asks a rabbi, why does the Torah, why does the law tell us to place these words upon our hearts? Why doesn't it tell us to place these holy words inside of our hearts? That's a good question. Why place these holy words of Genesis on our hearts and not in our hearts? Here's the rabbi's response. Brilliant. Wish I'd have thought about it. It is because as we are, our hearts are closed. Essek and sitna. And we cannot place the holy words in our hearts because the heart is closed. So, here's the gospel this morning. So, we place them on top of our hearts. And they stay there until one day our heart breaks open. Like a few weeks ago, with a father face down in a river with his daughter of two around his shoulder face down in the river. Because when our hearts break open, now there is room, Rehoboth, for the words, are you ready? To fall into it. A gift of freedom for you. Of a slightly different kind. Let's pray. Break our hearts open. Don't break them apart. Break our hearts open, God, so that our heart breaks open like yours does at the things your heart breaks open to so that the words of your law can fall into our heart. so that we can all sport Super Bowl rings. Metaphor intended, not literally, although it would be cool. Amen.
This is God's table. It's no one owns this table either. The name of this table, the name of this table is Room for You. The name of this table is You Matter. The name of this table is Placentia Church. The name of this table is Iglesia de Placentia. The name of this table is Church for the Rest of Us. The name of this table is We See You. And let me start and finish with the same thing. The name of this table, Room. The name of this table, Rehoboth. Because of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body. This is my body ripped apart for you. And after he finished, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink from it, all of you, until I return again to transform everything. So the lion will lay down with the lamb because there will be room for everyone then. Amen. There will be room for everybody. And until then, it's just hints and guesses. T.S. Eliot. May it be so. Come, Lord Jesus, come, and come sooner than later. Hear our prayers. Let's pray, and those who are serving can come forth. This table means room. This table is never exclusive. Why would a church be that? Why would a, a church that believes in the incarnation God become a human being, ever exclude another human being is beyond me. Forgive us as we do. Why would a nation exclude others made in that same image? Forgive us when we do. Heal our lands. Make room, make room, make room. May Rehoboth, may Rehoboth change our Essex and our Sitness to Beersheba's. Come Lord Jesus, come in your strong name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oops.